Amanda, remember that time that Toulouse-Lautrec and Van Gogh were BFFs? Welcome to Remember That Time, a historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb. And this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about their favorite moments in history. And we're back, back, back again. (laughs) I don't know. And we're not in the same house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is great because it was weird last time. Yeah. And and it was a lot of... I hope you can't notice it when you're listening. We had to pause so many times in that recording because <laughs> our parents were upstairs like making They were like noise. making lunch. They were like making uh, lunch. <laughs> oh, it was difficult. But we're back to our normal setup now. In our own homes. Yes, exactly. And would you like a drink update? Yeah. Well, speaking of being back, I'm back <laughs> drinking some red wine, baby. <laughs> Love that. I'm drinking water, but today I'm drinking water out of a Remember That Time mug that Anna made for me for Christmas. Yes, I made one for myself, too, um, just to be perfectly transparent. <laughs> <laughs> but I used mine this morning. I, I usually drink out of, like, a water bottle, because we usually record when I get home from work, so I just take the water bottle I've been drinking out of all day and bring it into my room to record. But today I said, I'm going to pour some water into a mug. <laughs> for this Very fancy. Exact occasion. So today, it's going to be a quicker one. This is going to be certainly one of my shorter episodes. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few short ones just because I picked just the weirdest crap to do on this show. So I just, I'm in and I'm out. But. That's rare for me, though. Yeah. Um, And honestly, you almost got a super long one this time around. Like, that almost had to be put into two parts. But then I decided I'm not really up for it. Um, And it will be for another time. <laughs> so today, instead, we're going to talk about the artist Toulouse-Lautrec. And there's going to be a lot of French. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm excited though because I love I love him. <laughs> He's yeah. just yeah, really interesting. Um, I am going to try to pronounce the French words because I do know a little bit of French, and my French teacher in high school like told me my pronunciation was really good. <laughs> it's probably terrible. If you're a French speaking person and you're like her accent is awful, she's pronouncing everything wrong. I just am apologizing in advance, but I think it's going to be better for me to do that than to be like. To lose La Trek. Like, I <laughs> yeah. think that doesn't sound right in my brain. So I'm going to nope, go that's for fair. it. <laughs> that's fair. Okay. So, ready? Okay. Yes. Let's do it. <laughs> so, hmm, we're starting off. Let's do we're it. We're all strong. Just, just okay. commit or quit. <clears throat> Henri Marie Raymond de Toulouse Lautrec Monfa. Thank you. Is born at the Hotel du Bosque in Albi. Tarn in France on November 26, 1864. Most of that sentence Ooh. was in French. <laughs> so we got one sentence down. Great. <laughs> Check. Uh, he is the firstborn child of Comte Alphonse and Comtesse Adèle de Toulouse-Rotrec. Um, 
is his compte uh like, like count a, okay that's what i thought like is that like a kind of like a lord in like english terms uh i think yeah i think it's similar yeah okay. i would say so okay i was just curious um, about the uh the station you know what i mean yes oh yeah it's like it's like count and countess basically yeah um, his family is aristocratic. There we go. <laughs> They're descendants of the Counts of Toulouse and Odette de Foix, Viscount, basically, uh, du Lautrec, and the Viscounts of Montfa, which is why he has Hence that the thousands of names that he has. Correct. Yeah. And if he had outlived his father, which he didn't, uh, he would have been given the family title of Comte de Toulouse-Lautrec. Gotcha. So was he he was the firstborn. You said that already. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Um he he does have a younger brother who's born in 1867, but his brother dies the following year. Right. Um and after his brother's death, his parents actually separate and Henri is raised mostly by a nanny for a while. That's interesting. I mean, it's not like uncommon for people to separate back then but to like really kind of officially separate you know what i mean well i don't know that it was that official a a lot of the information that i got here was from the um toulouse lautrec foundation oh okay so um because that was where i was able to find like the most sort of (laughs) timeliney sure um information so I don't know if it was really, like, quote-unquote official, but they definitely lived separately. Okay, got you. Gotcha. Um, so when he's around eight years old, Henri goes to live with his mother in Paris, where he starts drawing sketches and caricatures in his, like, workbooks nice. for school. Classic. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, and his family sort of realizes, hey, he's very artistic. And that seems to be where his talents are. That's good. Not a lot of people get that from their family. Yeah, there's a lot of that in, in his story, actually. Yeah. Um, so a friend of his father, René Prunstol, I don't know if I said that right, um, sometimes would visit and give him like informal art lessons. Oh, that is so cool. Here is a less cool part. <laughs> oh, no. So this will be unsurprising to a lot of people, but Toulouse-Lautrec's parents were first cousins. Oh, classic. But because of this, he has a lot of congenital health problems. Well, yes. His family has like a wild history of inbreeding. Just from the list of people you told me he was related to earlier, that tracks <laughs> yeah. to me. That makes yes. sense. Yeah, so I, I feel like we talk about a lot of, like, um, well, certainly a lot of royal families that experience this. Mm-hmm. But it was also common for just, like, aristocratic families who wanted to keep their bloodlines close. Well, and to and keep the money within the family and not spread it out. And yeah, Exactly. And I feel like when it comes to the royals, we don't hear quite as much about, like, the consequences of that in their children. Unless there there are a few. There are a few where yeah, but the consequences are very severe. But we don't, like, hear about it a ton. Like, right. The, with the amount of incest that were in those families, you would think yeah. we would hear about it all the time. Yeah. Um, but we're about to hear about it now. So <laughs> at the age of 13, Henri fractures his left thigh bone. And then at oh. 14, he fractures the right. Oh, buddy. 
And the breaks don't heal properly. Oh. So modern physicians attribute it to an unknown genetic disorder, um, which is now commonly known as Toulouse-Lautrec syndrome. Huh. I cannot pronounce the medical name because the French is enough for me in this episode, if I'm being honest. Um, is it is the condition they're referring to, like, how fragile the thigh bones are or the fact that they didn't heal properly? Um, I think the, fra- the, the fact that they didn't heal properly. Okay. okay. From my understanding. Okay. But again, I may be wrong. So because they don't, his legs don't heal properly, they stop growing. So by the time he's an adult, he is only about five foot one inch tall and he's developed an adult sized torso, but his legs are basically child sized. So that is why he, his physical appearance is the way that it is. That is fascinating and difficult to picture. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I think the the idea that we get of him usually comes from like movies and stuff, right? So like when people cast him, they cast him as like a short guy, right. which is like okay. I mean, guy. he was short. Just a he was guy. just a little guy. He was short. <laughs> That's true, but he did not look like just a person who is short, right? Yeah. <laughs> He developed differently. Right. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. It's like I can imagine, you know, Napoleon. Like people were people were short. Sure. But this is a completely different reason for being short. And also it's not dwarfism, right? Exactly. Like we know yes. what that looks like also, because yes. a lot of people have that. And, you know, we know what that looks like. But it's not the same. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just that was interesting. That is really interesting. So Back to his life, rather than his physical appearance. Um, Initially, he fails his college entrance exams. Classic. But he passes on a second attempt, completes his studies. Um, At one point, he is staying in Nice in France, and his drawing and painting starts to really impress that guy who was giving him lessons previously. Uh Uh-huh. And he convinces Toulouse-Lautrec's parents to let him go back to Paris and study under the portrait painter Leon Bonat. Hmm. Bonat. Um, So in 1882, he moves to Paris. And his very wealthy mother uses her influence to get him into Bonat's studio. Sure. So he studies there for... A while. Um, he's really drawn to the Montmartre region of um, Paris. Yes. Which yes. we all Weren't know about. they all? Yeah. Worth <laughs> all of the painters. Every one of them. Yeah, for sure. Of this Famous era. for its bohemian lifestyle. Yes. Artists and writers and philosophers all live there. Um, and that's basically where Bonnat's studio is. So he's living there. Um, and... Eventually, that painter takes another job somewhere else and leaves. So um, Henri moves into the studio of the painter Ferdinand Cormon. Um, and this artist is a little bit different with his like pupils and the people who are sort of, I guess you could say, apprenticing him. He sort of lets them roam 
the city and like sure. paint what comes to them and that experience kind of experience the culture etc exactly so during this time he meets emile bernard and vincent van gogh yes our dude <laughs> And, you know, and Neil Bernard, too. He was a, he's yeah. a great painter as well. He is. Um, and he also, ha- here we go, he also has his first <laughs> encounter with a prostitute. Here we go. <laughs> um, which leads him to paint his first painting of a, of a prostitute in Montmartre. Um, a r- woman who was rumored to be Marie Chalet. Um, and this becomes a huge theme in his work. And we'll definitely talk about it here again in a minute. Mm. Um, but I want to talk about a couple of other things first. So in 1885, he um, exhibits his work at the cabaret of Aristide Brunat's Mir- Mirleton. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Um, he, in 1887, participates in an exposition in Toulouse. Um, and he later exhibits in Paris with Van Gogh. Um, you were very excited about talking about the Van Gogh relationship. Yeah, they're best. They were like really good friends. They were they very were close. Very good friends. And he he was he was Vincent's best friend who wasn't Theo, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, and and he was one of the people who, after Vincent's death, was very passionate about getting his work out in the world. Absolutely, um, he he put in a lot of work to, like, along with um, Joe, uh, to get his work out there and to you know preserve his legacy. They he was very very passionate about that and about Vincent. Well, and speaking of Theo, his brother, um, in 1888... Hey, that's the year um, where Jack the Ripper was doing <laughs> yeah. his stuff. Yep. I had to get mine um, in. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, uh, puts, he exhibits 11 pieces in the Vin, which is the 20s um, exhibition in Brussels. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm, okay, yes. I know what you're and talking about. <laughs> Van Gogh's brother, Theo, buys the painting Rice Powder from him for 150 francs, which was like <laughs> pretty good pretty mm-hmm. good sell back then so theo was also really supportive of of toulouse lautrec's art as well yeah there there was a whole community of of folks there i mean obviously yeah, um, the, it's the post-impressionist kind of era yeah so, so there's a um musical that i adore called starry which is about mm-hmm. vincent and theo and um several of the other characters are other painters that were in their lives and were important to them there. And there are a couple of songs where the painters are like singing about their experience of doing art at this yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. And they're really fascinating. So if you're at all interested in musicals and also these people, I highly recommend that musical. It's fantastic. I keep thinking about it as we're talking yeah. about all of this. Because Toulouse Lautrec is a character, you know. Well, I keep thinking about Moulin Rouge. Valid. So. <laughs> Um, and then from 1889 until around 1894, um, he takes part in the Salon des Independents. That was really bad pronunciation. <laughs> Independence regularly. Um, he paints a lot of landscapes of Montmartre. Um, 
And then I found this quote on the Toulouse Trek Institute or whatever I said it was <laughs> foundation um, that I, I liked. Um, so it says tucked deep into Montmartre was the garden of Monsieur Père Foray, where Toulouse Trek executed a series of pleasant plein air paintings, which is like outdoor paintings mm-hmm. um, of Carmen Godin, the same redhead model who appears in the laundress. Huh. And I just liked that yeah. description of that of his time. work and yeah, yeah. Um, um. So I included this point just because I thought that you would like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, in 1890, during the banquet of the XX exhibition in that's, Brussels, that's the vent, isn't it? Because it's 20. Yes, 20. Yeah, yeah XX. Vent. The vent. Yeah. Um. He challenged the artist Henri de Gru to a duel. Oh my god! Because he criticized Van Gogh's work. <laughs> that tracks to me. But that guy apologized, and they never duel. That is so. Yes, <laughs> I know you love Van Gogh, and you and love also a duel. Duels. Well, no, here's the thing: I hate a duel because they're so well, stupid. But I'm fascinated by them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's stupid. It is stupid. Oh man, that's great! I feel yeah. like I feel like I remember reading that when I was doing Van Gogh research because, like, I, I I read a lot about him and put not all of it into the episode, obviously. Sure. And there was a lot of stuff about um his experience with the vin, the vin, um, the the vin. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while since I've taken French, obviously. And I he- count in French in my head all the time, and I I can only count to twenty, so that's right. as far as I get. Right. <laughs> Um, but there were there was a lot about his experiences there, and a lot of them involve you know a lot of these other uh, painters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> that tracks to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That was such a weird thing I just said about counting in French in my head. It's fine. I've been doing it since high school. Yeah, I took four years of French in high school. You would not know it now, <laughs> um, because I've been out of high school for ten years, and I'm very out of practice. More than ten years at this point. Jeez. Um, <laughs> But I I do because our French teacher taught us all those little things like through songs. Uh So that is how I count like to the tune of the songs that she taught us. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So let's get back to talking about Toulouse-Lautrec's experience with prostitutes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he frequents a lot of brothels in his time. He is very accepted by both the prostitutes who work there and the madams to the point where he would often move in and live there for, like, weeks at a time. Well, all right. I mean, why not? I guess. You know what? But, like, there's something to be said for him being, you know, accepted by those people there without harassing them. You know, oh, what I they mean? were friends. Yes, they were all that friends. Was often their experience with men who frequented brothels True. was that they were harassing the women there, and so there's something to be said for him frequenting them. You know, because because of him, but also because he's friends with those people. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's not that he wasn't like participating in the acts, right? Because he was, but he also just like those were his folks found yeah they were like kindred spirits i yeah, guess he like found I, a home with them i i get in paris in that time you know like there's I, it's understandable yeah so while he's doing this he he basically creates 
like a hundred drawings and around 50 paintings inspired by the lives of the women that he meets. Wow. He frequented uh, one particular brothel in uh, Rue D'Ambrose, D'Ambrose, I don't know how to say that, D'Ambrose probably, uh, where he had a favorite called Muriel, painted her a lot. Um, he basically becomes like their confidant and he would huh. paint and draw them like while they were working and while they were just sitting around yeah and he would record a lot of their intimate relationships which were often lesbian relationships yes and in 1892 and 1893 he creates a series of works that are of two women kissing that he calls le lit which is which means the bed huh interesting um yeah, and here's something. Uh, he had a favorite model that was a red-haired prostitute called Rosa La Rouge, from whom he allegedly contracted syphilis. I mean, so sure. less great, but also like, what were you expecting? With yeah, the I mean, out of time. That the alleged spending? part was who he contracted it from. He sure. definitely had syphilis. Sure. Like that is a fact. Sure, um, which we will come back to. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah. Um, in 1889, the Moulin Rouge Cabaret opens. Yes. And Toulouse-Lautrec is commissioned to create a series of posters, which uh. I am sure everyone has seen. Yes. Um, they're probably, I would say those are probably his most famous works among people like now who aren't like art people. Oh, yeah, I agree. Do you I know mean, what people I mean? get prints of those things with no yes. knowledge of him as a painter whatsoever because the imagery of them is so famous. Yeah, yeah. Um, after he com- they he creates these posters, the cabaret reserves a seat for him. Of course. And will just display, like, any of his paintings, really. Um, one of the more well-known uh, works that he painted for the Moulin Rouge and other nightclubs um, were... Pictures of the singer Yvette Gilbert, Gilbert, um, the dancer Louise Weber, who was known as the La Goule or the Glutton, huh. um, and she's the one who created the French Can Can. So that's all those pictures you see of like the Can Can woman. Uh-huh. That's her. Huh. Um, and a lot of paintings of the dancer Jane Avril. So those are sort of the more well-known things that he creates for the Moulin Rouge. Mm. Um, And again, like I said, other nightclubs. So it wasn't just that particular cabaret. Um, Henri is, and his whole family are known to be Anglophiles. And I read in one place that like he spoke English, but (laughs) what did it say? I didn't put it in my notes, but it said something like he spoke English, not as well as he liked to pretend he did. (laughs) I love that. But they were all very interested in England and English. So he travels to London um, and there he's commissioned by the J&E Bella Company to make a poster advertising their paper confetti, huh. which they have to advertise because I just this was just an interesting fact because plaster confetti was banned after the 1892 Mardi Gras because it had injured several people, huh. which I never knew that before. Interesting. <laughs> Um, and he also creates a bicycle advert for them as well. Cool. 
And while he's in London, he meets and befriends Oscar Wilde, who oh I will God. definitely do an episode on at some yes, point. Yes, fascinating human. Um, and when Oscar Wilde was facing imprisonment in Britain for homosexuality, um, Toulouse-Lautrec becomes a really vocal supporter of him. Um, and he even paints a portrait of Oscar Wilde, which is uh, painted the same year as, as Wilde's trial. Huh. He is I, I like- very adamant about supporting Oscar Wilde throughout his That's trial. just the kind of person that he is, though, right? Like, he very vocally supports the people he cares about in his life. You know, like, that. Right. that is a common theme for him. Well, and he's also, you know, he's rich, but he doesn't really live in the upper classes of society. No, and he and lives also, with the bohemians. Like, that's and- where he spends his time. Around the time that he starts doing work for the Moulin Rouge, his family, like, is far away. He's not really living off of his mother's money anymore because she's not living near him. Mm-hmm. So that's when he really starts like making his own money. So he's supporting himself basically. Right. Um less happy. Uh <laughs> Henri suffers from alcoholism for most of his adult life. Mm. Some places I read it was like, you know, he was teased because of his height and how he looked and that drove him to drink, which is like possible, but we don't really know that. But that also sounds like a narrative that we would create now about a person. Uh, Well, we just don't. How would you know that? Yeah. How would you know? Unless he wrote it somewhere, which he didn't. So um, he drank a lot of beer and wine, but eventually got really into absinthe, which is, (laughs) I feel like something people just know about him yeah like if i did a game of word association with someone who knew not a lot about any of this and i said toulouse lautrec i would expect them to say moulin rouge or absinthe or maybe cat because he has the chat noir paintings of his is very famous yeah but i don't i think people wouldn't go to that first huh (laughs) because i know a little bit about toulouse lautrec and i still associate him with absinthe absinthe (laughs) Maybe it's just because I watched the Moulin Rouge, the like the musical, so many times, and that's like a big thing in it. But yeah, <laughs> that I don't whole know. Absinthe sequence in that movie. Is oh my just god, it's wild. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a Baz Luhrmann movie. You know how it goes. Yeah, and they're an absinthe. Yeah, he, Baz, Baz Luhrmann absinthe like combination. Ba- a Baz Luhrmann movie is already kind of like a movie version of. Absinthe. It's a trip. It's a trip. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the earthquake cocktail is attributed to Toulouse-Lautrec. Huh. It is a mixture that is half absinthe and half cognac oh. in a wine goblet. Oh, God. That sounds horrible. That is foul. Ugh. Awful. I mean, I guess I get why they call it the earthquake. Because you would be just, like, falling hard after drinking, <laughs> like, a sip of that. Um, and also because he had underdeveloped legs, he he walks with the aid of a cane and he reportedly hollowed it out to keep liquor in it so that he would always have something to drink. Yikes. Yeah. Another interesting fact, he's a very good cook. Huh. He collects like favorite recipes, some that he made up, some that he adapted. And they are post uh, posthumously, I never know how to say that posthumously. word. Posthumously. Posthumously uh, published by his friend, um, 
Maurice Joyant, who's also, I believe, his art dealer, um, as L'Art de la Cuisine, The Art of the Cuisine. And it's published in English, too, I think. That is really interesting. I did not never knew that. So in 1899, he's not doing great with the alcoholism. He, like, collapses. It's a whole thing. Um, So his family has him committed to a sanatorium. Um, for about three months. Mm. And while he's there, he draws, like, 39 circus portraits. Wow. Um, after he's released, he returns to Paris, where his health continues to be awful, Mm -hmm. um, due to both alcoholism and syphilis. Right. And on September 9th, 1901... Toulouse-Lautrec dies at the age of 36, um, like months from his 37th birthday, wow. at his mother's estate, Chateau Malrome, in Saint-André-du-Bois. Um, and he's buried in Verdelay-Grion, which is a few kilometers from his mother's estate. Ah. His last words are reportedly, Le vieux con. Or old fool, <laughs> which was apparently like a goodbye to his father. I think huh. is what I read somewhere. That's interesting. I love I love last words. Oh, me too. Oh my gosh, we could do a whole thing just about last words. Um, after his death, his mother and his art dealer, previously mentioned, um, continue to promote his work. Um, his mother. Uh, contributes funds for a museum to be created in Albi, which is his birthplace, um, to, to show off his works. Wow. And it's the Musée Toulouse-Lautrec, um, and it has the most extensive collection of his works. That's awesome. Um, throughout his career, which was less than 20 years. Wow. Whoa. That's weird to he, think about. Well, wait till I give you <laughs> the numbers. He created... 737 canvases, 275 watercolors, 363 prints and posters, and 5,084 drawings. He had some ceramic and stained glass work. And then, of course, there's like an unknown number of his lost works that just weren't like cataloged anywhere. Wow. And as of 2005, his paintings had sold for as much as 14.5 million US dollars. Wow. Yeah. So that was a quicker one for me. That's what I got on Toulouse-Lautrec. But I just find him very interesting. Yeah, he is a very interesting person. All of all of those painters that were coming up at that time all lived fascinating and strange lives. Yeah, well, you know, the culture was so specific at the yes. time. Yes, yeah. So that certainly contributes to it. For sure. Yeah, but that's what I got on Toulouse-Lautrec. He's a cool I'm dude. I'm so sorry if I really messed up a lot of that French. I really feel like I did. You tried your darndest. I really did try. Well, history is great, but today is cool too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? You were singing, you were mouthing along. I, I was. Uh, welcome to Modern Times. It's a segment of the podcast where we talk about things that we like about the here and the now. Yes. And there's a lot going on right now, so we got to talk about something we like, because there's a lot of weird stuff happening in the world. <laughs> yes. I would like for you to go first, because I have two options, okay. and it's entirely <laughs> possible that yours could be either of them. Okay. So I want you to go first. So mine is 
grocery delivery. All right. It was neither of my options. Great. So now I have to pick. Okay, great. So let me talk about grocery delivery. Um, Obviously, it's more of a thing now that we're in the pandemic. But I can remember before the pandemic, when it started becoming a thing, being very disappointed that it wasn't available in the stores around me. Because... Uh-huh. I have anxiety and going to the grocery store is like a whole ordeal for me. So I was like, oh my God, if only I could get my groceries delivered. And now I can because it is available near me. Uh-huh. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. First of all, really cuts down on impulse buying. Yes. Which is very difficult for me because I'll go buy something, I'll go, I'd like to have that. And I buy it and then I probably never eat it because it was an impulse buy. I didn't plan for it. Secondly... With the pandemic, it means I only have to come in contact with exactly one person who is required to wear a mask, who drops (laughs) my stuff off and leaves. (laughs) Love that. Love that. Third, way easier to get all the stuff into my apartment because they bring it to my door, which is half the work. That's true. That's so so nice. I love grocery delivery. I'm so here for it. I don't have grocery delivery, but we finally have grocery pickup where I can just go in the lot and pull in, which again, it's great for me because I live in a place where a lot of people don't think that they have to wear masks. And Mm -hmm. so every time I go into a store, I want to beat my head against the wall because people drive me nuts. So (laughs) if I can just pull into the parking lot and not have to see a soul and they can just put the stuff in my trunk and then I can just cruise on home. Oh, it's choice. Yeah. And let me tell you, every grocery delivery driver that I have encountered has been so nice. Yeah. They are so nice. And I always, so the first time I did it, they like called me and they were like, hey, now they just text me, I think, because they have, they know that I know how it works. They like called me and they were like, hey, we're about to do your shopping. Like, um, your delivery driver will, will call you when they're on their way. So the delivery driver called me when they're on the way. And she goes, okay, well, we got everything. Um, so I just wanted you to know I'm X amount of minutes away. Um, and she does like a spiel, right? I can tell it's like something she has to say. Uh-huh. And she's like, and just so you know, tips are appreciated, but not required. And uh-huh. I was like, oh, girl, you're getting a tip. <laughs> and every time I give a driver a tip, they're like, oh, my gosh, thank you. Because I really think they don't expect it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're performing a service. Of course I'm going to tip you. Because there's no way you're getting paid that much to do this. And there's just so, they're all very nice. The last person I had was so nice. She, like, brought it to my door, like, my apartment door instead of the <gasps> door to oh, the building. She, because she, it was, she went up those stairs for you? Well, yeah. it was, And the door was open. Ah. Like, sometimes it's not open. But it had been, somebody had propped it to do something else. So she brought it all in. And she, like... Got down on the stairs, like, away from my door before she texted me. And I came out and she, like, from a distance was like, thank you. And I was like, wait, I have a tip. And we had to, like, reach across because she didn't want to get too close. She was really nice. Everybody's been so nice. Anyway. Oh, that's great. What's yours? Uh, Puzzles. Oh, it's a good one. It's Puzzles. puzzles because I'm doing a million of them right now. Mm-hmm. that's all there is to do but also i love them and they're so fun me too i just restarted a puzzle that i did last year i restarted my bob's burgers puzzle oh i love that puzzle i love that puzzle um i like i've always loved puzzle games that's always been my favorite kind oh, of like yes. video or board game i love me puzzle too. games because i like solving things mm-hmm. and so i like doing a puzzle because it's like it's doing very like low pressure problem solving there are no 
consequences to you not solving the problem except for (laughs) the puzzle will take you longer and your own frustration yes and then it's so satisfying when you figure out that one piece you've been staring at for so long and you oh it's that that's what it is and then you put it in you're like oh my god finally i love a puzzle we did the um amanda got our mom a disney world puzzle for christmas and Uh it's like shaped like mickey mouse's head (laughs) <laughs> and it was tough and we but we did it so quickly <laughs> we did it in a day listen when i do a puzzle on my own it can sometimes take me months yeah because it's just a thing that's there you pick at it i'll go yeah i'll go work on it for a little bit and then i won't come back to it for a long time then i'll go work on it you know um which is what i'm doing now it's more just like a thing to do with my hands sometimes because I'm tactile. Mm-hmm. But when I'm doing a puzzle with other people, it's like, got to finish. I get very zoned in because it feels like more likely that we will accomplish it more quickly. So my like instinct is to just do my it. drive kicks in. That's like, let's just do it. Let's just get it done. We're going to yeah. get it done. I can't stop thinking about it. I got to find this piece. Like, it's so weird how different it is doing See, it with someone else. I, I'm the same. If I, even when I'm doing it by myself, I have to just do it because it's all I can think about. I spend yeah. all my time thinking about doing the I puzzle. used to be like that. Like, and then I would get frustrated that I wasn't finishing it fast enough because I'm by myself. So I had to change my thinking. That Freddie Mercury puzzle you got me for Christmas, I did. Mm-hmm. I sat down the Sunday I got home after Christmas and watched Doctor Who all day. And I did that <laughs> puzzle in a day. Myself, well, it was also was it wasn't a very big puzzle. No, it's a five hundred so piece. Helps, but but just in a day, I love a puzzle. They're the best. Me too. Puzzles are great. And our mom got us mini puzzles in our stockings. Oh, they're this so year. cute. I was gonna. They do, were really fun. I was gonna do one tonight. I did in both fact, of mine already. I'm gonna do my one that looks like Starry Night. So that's there you go. Appropriate. Love that. Well, that was a great way to wrap it around. Even though that's <laughs> not the painter we're talking about, but that was good. Um. Well. Friends, uh, if you have questions or comments or if you have suggestions for topics, um, you can send them to rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can tweet us at RTTpod. You can also find us on Facebook by searching the name of the podcast. Uh, We got some good suggestions recently that I promise we will be doing. (laughs) We just have to find the time to (laughs) research them. Yes. Um, And the the patience to research them. But we will be doing them. Yes. Probably sometime this year. and what was I saying? Oh, if you want to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be amazing. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Did you say our podcast Twitter and stuff? I think you missed yes, that. Yes, I did. Did you? No, I said it. Wow. <laughs> I absolutely said it. Lit. 2021 is already going great. Yep. Um, <laughs> I have no clue what i'm doing next time well that's classic classic so um until next time remember that time time.